0: Okay, well, welcome everyone. It's great to see all of you. Um, yeah, we have uh, you know a lot in store for for today's teaching, and as you know, Ted will be teaching us. Um, but if you're new here, you know, welcome, and we're really thankful to have you. Um, our order of worship for today and for most of these Lagos Large meetings is: we'll start with uh, welcoming and uh an opening prayer we will uh, then jump into uh reading the passage for today and that's uh, first timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 and then we will have two uh, volunteers share from their uh, discipleship groups just things that they've um, learned from the passage and then we'll go into a time of teaching um from our elder ted for today and then um Afterwards, there will be some closing announcements um, and then a closing prayer. And then we'll have a, a little bit of a hangout time uh, with um, a few icebreaker questions for anyone that would like to stay um, afterwards for a short period of time. So, um, yeah, again, welcome. Yeah, Logos is, for those who are new, um, our midweek Bible study. And um, yeah, we're, we're um, really excited to, to have you. Uh, A couple just reminders so we are actually recording these sessions so just so you're aware. Um, And we also would like to encourage each of you to open up your, your videos, if possible. I know, you know, these, uh, these zoom meetings are not the ideal way to have Bible studies but um, it's what we can do at the moment. And uh, yeah, we'd like to see, everyone would like to see each other's faces. So yeah, please do turn on your videos if you're able. Um, and just one more reminder, uh, the chat is actually open. So uh, we'd like to, um, yeah, just mention that, you know, to use the chat responsibly and really only if it's directly relevant to uh, what's being talked about or if the, um, the teacher is actually uh, inviting comments, especially during the teaching time. Um, it, it was mentioned last week, but uh, or last time, but uh, just thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, um, our God is a, a God, uh, not of confusion, but of peace. And so, um, yeah, i just like to encourage you guys to use that chat responsibly. Um, it's, it's mainly reserved for, you know, announcements, any useful links, things like that. So, yeah, without further ado, um, I'll be opening us up in a word of prayer, followed by Kevin Al, and then, yeah, we'll go into uh, just the reading of the word. So let's let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for uh, this ministry. Lord, we're thankful for this church that uh, you've established uh, with Christ being the cornerstone. And um, Lord, we're... Just so humbled to know that we don't deserve anything uh, but condemnation in hell for our sins. Uh, But in your mercy, you've sent your only son to to die on the cross, to live a perfect life here on this earth, uh, to die on the cross uh, as a propitiation for our sins. So, um, Lord, I pray that each one of us would uh, just have that gospel truth. Um, very real in uh, every moment of our lives. Lord, that each morning when we wake up, we're reminded of your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, that you give us every breath. um, And more importantly, you give us your word to live lives that are pleasing to you. Um, And so, Lord, we just thank you for this study. Thank you for this ministry um, and just teaching us through uh, the book of First Timothy. Lord, we're We are learning how to, uh, how we ought to behave in your household. Um, And Lord, that's founded on uh, the truth of the gospel. Um, So, Lord, would you prepare our hearts to receive your word um, with humility, or that um, your word would just be, uh, just humble us, and that uh, we would continue to grow to love you more and to love your people more.
1: so uh, in Christ's name, I pray, amen. Father God, we thank you again for the time that we're able to spend in your word, the time that we've been able to spend this past week with our discipleship groups, looking into your word and seeing it, what it says, Lord. And Father, even as we come in tonight and we hear the teaching from Ted on, on these words, I pray that we remember that they're not they're not Ted's words but your words, Lord, that he's teaching from, Lord. And they're not the words of just men, but they're words that come from you. So Father, I just pray that as we hear these words, we would be humble before them, that we would submit ourselves to them, and that we would open our hearts to understand what it is saying to us, Lord. And we know that your word is not just about filling up our heads with knowledge, um, Lord, but it's about changing us and transforming us, Lord. So I pray that that work would be done tonight. And Father, we thank you most of all, Lord, because you um, even allow us to understand these things and you give us the opportunity to be taught from your word. We know that we can sometimes take that for granted, Lord, but we appreciate the time that we are able to have today, um, even through the technology that you've allowed us to connect with one another and not in an ideal fashion, Lord, but in a uh, in a way that we get to see one another's faces and hear from your word so we thank you um you are a provider you are a god we look forward to hearing from your word today in christ's name amen all right so yeah we'll actually
0: be going into a time of uh of reading so if you're able to please open up to our passage for today and that's uh, first timothy chapter four verses one through five All right, First, First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, we'll be going into a time of sharing. And um, I think our first sharer will be uh, Matt Chia. Matt, are you, you there?
2: It's
3: yeah, we're on
2: that. Okay, go ahead. We're good? Okay. Uh, so, from this passage, we drew out some application from uh, our study together, in our group. Um, mainly, we identified that the, the way that the false teachers were going about spreading their heresy was by adding to the gospel. They basically added more legalistic requirements, requirements that legalistic requirements that we can even see reflected also in the controversies in the Book of Acts and also throughout Jesus' ministries as he rebuked the Pharisees in various points in his ministry. Um, he's rebuking the so Paul is rebuking the addition to the gospel. And so we ought to ask ourselves what are some ways in which we can be tempted to add to the gospel in our lives and not trust in Christ alone. Or for our salvation, we need to be. We need to be aware that these um, that these kinds of uh, these kinds of false teachings are, are are evident there. Like they they will they will definitely come up in our lives. Um, instead, however, so so he says not to be adding to the gospel, but then that doesn't actually mean that we could necessarily do whatever we want, right? What he says in the last verse is to say that. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Um, so it's, it, we are not to add anything to the gospel, add works to the gospel. But on the other hand, that doesn't give us license to do whatever we want either. Um, here, he specifically talks about what well, we consider everything that we do and how we interact with God's creation. It is good and it is, and we can enjoy his creation but only in the right context of how his word de- de- decrees it to be and how we are to pray for wisdom in terms of under, for understanding for how we are to live our lives and interact with what God has created, which is indeed good. Um, like food is good and, and marriage is good, but if they're put in the wrong place in the Christian life, then they're, they, they are no longer, they are no longer good. So we need to, there's a sort of balance that Paul is a really, um, Really teaching in this in
0: this text, we think. So those are some of the things that we that we were thinking about. When we read this passage together. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah, we're too. Um, yeah, really be faithful with the things that the Lord has created and the Lord has ordained. So um, yeah, thanks, Matt, for sharing. All right, I think we have uh, Catherine Liu next. Catherine, are you there? Yep.
4: Uh, So we talked about very similar to what Matt shared. Uh, So we were looking at the different patterns between um, the false teachers um, and uh, true believers. So like with believers, um, their belief is in the free salvation of the gospel. Uh, So they have hearts that are transformed and they receive um, everything that God's given with thanksgiving through the word and through prayer. Um, But like Matt mentioned earlier, the false teachers are instead um, more posing or asking for a works-based uh, salvation. Um, and then something that, a verse that we talked about through for a cross-reference was Colossians 2, 21 to 23. Um, and I thought it was really helpful. So it says like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. Uh, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and as that and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, so for us, it was really nice to come together and see that uh, difference uh, between the two groups. And then in terms of like a prayer request, so the prayer request would also be like um, to focus on the simple truth of the gospel, how it's really only Christ who saves um, and just to remember, again, the how God is good and everything he's created um, is good uh, as long as we receive it with uh, thanksgiving.
0: Thanks, Catherine. Yeah, thanks for bringing up that cross-reference in Colossians um, and just uh, yeah, pointing out the contrast between the two groups. Um, and, yeah, for that prayer request, um, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, we should all be in prayer for each other, right, to uh, just cherish the the simplicity of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Catherine and Matt. All right. Well, we'll be going now into a time of teaching. So, um, Ted, you're you're up.
5: All right. Hopefully, you guys all can hear me. And there it is. All right. Well, special thanks to to, to Tim. Not only Tim, but also Stephen. Uh, if you joined kind of late, I was trying to. Make the share screen work on zoom but failed uh, mightily and so uh, thankful for guys like tim and and steven who can help me out here tonight so um so yeah as as we read earlier tonight we're going to be looking at first timothy four uh, one through five and hopefully you guys all uh, had an opportunity to go through their exegesis by now and have studied it studied it and talked about it together in your discipleship groups And tonight, uh, we really wanna focus in on what the authorial intent of the passage is, uh, as well as the application for our lives. And the challenge for us will be to try to do this in the next 30 minutes, give or take. So we'll see how we do or how I'll do, but uh, let's uh, get started. Can I get the first slide? So in order to get to our authorial intent, we start uh, with the big picture. And God has revealed our particular text for tonight, First Timothy 4, 1 through 5, within a story, right? It's a story from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to restoration, about God's plan of redeeming his chosen people to the praise of his glory. And just like you or I, we would never open to the middle of a book and start reading and say, we understand the whole story. Or we wouldn't turn on a scene from a Netflix movie without viewing it from the beginning or until the end. We must not isolate our passage from the rest of Scripture. So where does 1 Timothy fall within the scope of God's narrative? Well, this should hopefully be all review to us by now, but Christ has come. He's been crucified. He's risen again. And he's accomplished his work of salvation as promised by God and prophesied by the Old Testament prophets after the fall of mankind. Christ has ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, where he is presently and actively interceding for his people. The apostles, who were direct witnesses of Christ's life and ministry, have carried the torch of the gospel for a season. And much of this is recorded for us in the book of Acts. And now there's a transition taking place, right? The torch is being passed from the apostles to the church in what we call the post-apostolic church age. And this is where we find the book of 1 Timothy, written by the apostle Paul toward the end of his life to young Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And to complete the timeline, Christ's church is called to carry the torch of the gospel until he returns one day to judge and reign for all eternity with his redeemed. And that is our calling as a church. So that's the big picture within God's story of redemption. What about within 1 Timothy? Notice that our passage falls right in the middle of the letter. It's preceded by chapters 1 through 3, and it's followed by chapters 4 through 6. And does anyone recall how the Apostle Paul begins this letter? How does he urge Timothy, or what does he urge Timothy to do in chapter 1, verse 3? You can turn on your mics and answer, anyone who's brave. How does the Apostle Paul begin his letter?
3: Uh, Paul tells Timothy not to,
5: uh,
3: or charges, uh, tells Timothy to
5: charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. Great. Thanks, Ken. Absolutely true, right? He tells Timothy to remain at this church, right? There was a temptation for him to leave, but he's saying remain here for a specific purpose, and that's to charge certain people, certain persons, not to teach any different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So that's how the Apostle Paul begins this letter. Now, how does the Apostle Paul end this letter? If you guys flip to the back of this letter, what's his final charge to Timothy? Can someone turn on their mic and read uh, chapter 6, verse 20?
0: Uh, Chapter 6, verse 20 says, uh, Paul tells Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him.
5: Correct. Right. Thanks, YK. Right. To guard the deposit entrusted to you. And he he goes on to say, avoid irreverent babble, contradictions of what is called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So we see in the book of First Timothy that the Apostle Paul bookends his letter by exhorting Timothy to protect the precious gospel and the true doctrine of God's word which has been entrusted to him. This was the Apostle Paul's overarching concern for Timothy and the church in Ephesus, in light of some that were among them who opposed and had departed from the truth. It's significant that he starts and he ends his letter talking about this. And it is within this context that we find our passage for tonight about apostasy and about the church's calling to guard against it. So that's the book of 1 Timothy as a whole. But we also want to consider the immediate context of our passage. It immediately follows the section that we looked at a couple weeks ago, uh, which was chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And does anyone remember what that passage was about? And if you're not sure, it's right there on the PowerPoint slide.
3: is the confession
1: of the gospel and and christ's work on earth
5: absolutely it's the confession of the gospel what christ has done for us and in us right it's also the conduct right of those who are part of the household of god right those who belong to the church and then what immediately follows our passage And I'll just ask somebody just to read 1 Timothy 4, verse 6.
0: If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus,
3: being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed.
5: Thanks, David. So we see that our passage for tonight on apostasy, it's it's juxtaposed, right? It's coming right after and right before Sections that talk about those who belong to the household of God, chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, and those who are good servants of Christ Jesus, chapter 4, verse 6 and following. And essentially, the two are the same, right? Who are those who belong to the household of God? Who are those who are the good servants of Christ Jesus? They're members of Christ's church, right? And in contrast to members of the household of God, the good servants of Christ Jesus, we read... In verse one, it says now, or it's translated, but in NASB, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Stephen, can I get the next slide? Okay, thanks. So you guys probably noticed as you guys were doing the exegesis for this passage and looking at the sentence structure, that there is actually one main or independent clause. And it's found right here in verse 1. The rest of the verses in this passage either modify or describe Paul's primary point, which is that according to the testimony of the Spirit, some will depart from the faith. And in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, apostasy is a recurring theme. In chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, the apostle Paul writes, That some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. In chapter 6, verse 10, he writes, Some have wandered away from the faith. In 6, verse 21, he writes, Some have swerved from the faith. Right? And apostasy is the idea of departing, wandering, swerving, or abandoning the pure gospel, the objective faith, and the true confession. Of Christ. It's the idea of departing from, swerving, wandering, or abandoning the pure gospel, the objective faith, and the true confession of Christ. It's not about losing their salvation or faith, as some might think. They were never saved to begin with, and it's revealed by their rejection of the faith. The Apostle Paul uses the definite article the. It's the one and only faith of the Bible the truth of Christ that they reject, they being the apostates. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is warning Timothy and us who are of the household of God. He's saying this, don't be surprised, but beware and be on guard. Not all who are in the congregation are true sheep, who hear and follow the voice of the good shepherd. Right? There are some who profess Christ who will be amongst you for a while, perhaps for the benefits of being associated with God's flock. They might even be long-standing members of your church, serve on the praise team, teach our children, go on short-term missions trips. But rest assured, they will depart from the faith. 1 John 2.19 comes to mind. Hopefully some of you guys jotted that down as one of the cross references for this passage. It says this, they went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Notice in that verse that the apostle John is making a distinction between they and us, between those who merely profess Christ and eventually went out from them and those who truly confess Christ and remain. In the letter of 1 Timothy, there is a similar contrast between those who belong to the household of God and the apostates who depart from the faith. And we see it in their confession, as well as in their character or conduct. It's been mentioned multiple times before that in the book of 1 Timothy, there's a direct connection between doctrine and living between our confession and our conduct, right? Each of us live out of what we truly believe so that our character at the end of the day reflects our theology. We saw in chapters two and three, that godliness is the distinguishing mark of members of Christ's church. As the gospel transforms our lives from the inside out so that men will lift holy hands in prayer. Women will pursue modesty and good works and leaders in the church will be above reproach and character. And this is all summarized in chapter 3, verse 16, with the mystery of godliness, which is the common confession of those who submit to the lordship of Christ. Now, on the other hand, the apostle Paul reminds Timothy that there is a lifestyle that is contrary to sound doctrine. And while apostates may have an appearance of godliness, the fruit of their lives is insincerity and ungodliness that flows from a seared conscience. Those who embrace, adopt, uphold, and promote false teaching will participate in irreverent silly myths, vain discussions, and endless genealogies which promote speculations. He writes that they are puffed up with conceit, making confident assertions while lacking understanding. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. He says, producing envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. And what is the explanation for the fruit in their lives? Verse 1, instead of holding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sound doctrine of his word, it says that those who depart from the faith will what? It says they will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Can I get the next slide? Now, when we hear the words deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, we might think of witchcraft or mysticism or some other form of pagan or occult religion or at least that's what I think of. But in the context of First Timothy and particularly our passage, what the Spirit of God is saying is that anything, any teaching or any spirit that comes into the church, that opposes or deviates even slightly from the gospel of grace, the pure doctrine of his word, and the true confession of Christ is demonic, it's deceitful, and it's damning. It's demonic, it's deceitful, and it's damning. There is no neutral ground. Either it accords with the gospel and a true confession of Christ as Lord, characterizing those who belong to the household of God, or it accords with false doctrine and a confession of Satan as Lord, characterizing those who are apostate, who follow the prince of the power of the air, In the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Specifically in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 4, we read that there were those within the church who were, quote, forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from foods. Now, what is that all about? Well, it may have been that at that time, some in the church of Ephesus were promoting a form of legalism called asceticism which is contrary to the teaching of the gospel, the word and the work of Jesus Christ. These false teachers whom the apostle Paul explicitly calls liars were convincing others that self-denial was necessary for true spirituality. Another possible influence in the Ephesian church was an early form of Gnosticism, which was rooted in contemporary Greek philosophy. They would say that marriage and food, being part of the evil material world, were to be avoided in order to pursue a hidden spiritual knowledge outside of scripture. This is an outright rejection of the written and revealed word of God. Specifically, the creation account in Genesis that the Apostle Paul references here in 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 where we read that God had deemed everything he had created good. And therefore, all of his gifts, including food and marriage, are meant to be enjoyed with thanksgiving by his people, to the praise and glory of God. Now, I would imagine that most of us in our church do not struggle with Gnosticism or asceticism, especially when it comes to food and marriage. But have any of you ever measured your spiritual standing against others and before God on the basis of your external deeds? Say, on how much you read your Bible, or pray, serve, or give in the church? Sadly, I have. Perhaps you haven't missed a day of Bible reading since the start of the new year. Or you've been serving on the AV team this whole time during the pandemic. Or perhaps on the finance report that Peter presented at the last members meeting, you were one of the few on the far right of the bar graph who gave offering 48 out of the 52 weeks in 2020. At least you weren't one of the persons on the far left on the chart who hardly gave. That must count for something with the Lord, right? Have you ever been tempted to think that way? Now, if you're not spending any time in the word, if you're not praying regularly, serving, or giving to the work of the Lord, that's a separate issue that needs to be addressed. But spiritual discipline and service in the church is a means of grace to grow in our faith and should always be done out of a love and joyful submission to Christ. We are never to boast or place any confidence in our works or in our flesh, only in God's work in us through the cross of Christ. So when we make anything, whether it's fasting, whether it's celibacy, whether it's spiritual discipline or service in the church, when we make anything a replacement for the gospel, that is a heresy from the pit of hell. So in light of the false teaching within the church and the certainty of apostasy what is the primary message that the spirit through the apostle paul is trying to tell us here in 1 Timothy 4:1 through 5 we'll see that on the next slide if we can flip there here's the authorial intent first apostasy is to be expected in the church Apostasy is to be expected in the church. And we see this in verses one through two. And it will come as some devote themselves, it says, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And it will come through false teachers, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. But there's a second point, and that's this apostasy will be the outcome of those who twist or reject the truth of God's word. Apostasy will be the outcome of those who twist or reject the truth of God's word. At the heart of every false teaching that comes into the church is either a distortion or a rejection of the truth of the word of God. It's either a distortion or rejection of the truth of his word. And we see this very clearly in verses three through five. Now, you may recall that the Bible does teach certain truths about celibacy and fasting. For instance, Jesus talks about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 18, that we are not to do it to be seen before others. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 8 that it is good to remain single as I am. But just like with eating and marriage, fasting and celibacy were meant to be received as gifts from God with thanksgiving. They were to be regulated by our conscience and ultimately to be used for the glory of God by those who seek to devote themselves to ministry and to the Lord without distraction. They were never meant to be a requirement for salvation or the basis upon which we measure our spiritual standing against others and before God. And when one twists the word of God and presents it as the truth, that will lead to apostasy. And as the late theologian J.I. Packer would say, a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. And that is why the leaders of this church are committed to teaching you the truth of God's word and hopefully nothing but the truth because it's the one thing that is going to protect us as a church from swerving from the faith. Now, there is a very important implication that flows from the authorial intent we just stated. And as we make our way towards the application, we need to consider the implication first of this passage for the church. What's the implication of this passage for the church? It's this. Can I get the next slide? As the household of God and pillar and buttress of the truth, the church, both its leaders and its members, is called to guard against apostasy through the word of God. Remember, the audience, who this letter is written to. It's not the people out there protesting on the streets or invading the Capitol building that need to hear this. This warning is given by the Spirit through the Apostle Paul, specifically to whom? It's the Timothy, right? And and the church in Ephesus. And there is a high calling for the household of God and especially for its leadership, to test and discern whatever comes into the church through God's appointed means, which is his authoritative, his inerrant, and his unchanging word. In the book of Titus, the elders of the church in Crete are tasked not only to give sound, sorry, should, are not only tasked to give instruction in sound doctrine, but also to rebuke those who contradict it, as among them were insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers those who devote themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. When we go to the beginning of this epistle, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the apostle Paul urges Timothy as the pastor of the church in Ephesus to wage the good warfare, which is a battle for the gospel and the truth of God's word, and specifically, as we read earlier, to charge certain persons not to teach any different Doctrine. But, brothers and sisters, this calling applies not just to the leadership, but to every member of the church. We need to be on guard for ourselves and for one another because of who we are as Christ's church, the household of God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This calling to a guard. This calling to guard against apostasy flows out of our identity. In 2 Corinthians 113 3-4, the Apostle Paul warns the entire church in Corinth. He writes this, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed," or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John addresses fellow believers in the church. He writes, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. He goes on to share, and it's instructive for us in our own counseling, that every spirit that confesses Christ is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And finally, if you recall from our summer preaching series a couple years ago, the church in Pergamum and Thyatira in Revelation 2 are rebuked by Christ for allowing false teaching to remain unchecked. And here in 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul is is exhorting young Timothy and the church in Ephesus that false teaching is not to be tolerated or accepted, but rather called out and rejected, both because of its nature as demonic and because of its effect leading to apostasy. Can we see the next slide? So how does how does this apply to our lives and to our church today? How are we to guard against the apostasy that is sure to come into the church? First, we need to uphold sound doctrine. The church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's our identity. And that's our calling and what are some ways we are to do that well we need to protect the pulpit and the teaching ministries of this church we need to be in constant prayer for those who teach especially for pastor mark and the leaders of the church that we might cut straight the word of truth and protect a flock against false teaching so congregation are we weekly praying for pastor mark as he studies to feed us the word of God that we might be equipped. But let's not forget that Satan and his spirits are deceitful. He doesn't always come in through the front door, but he creeps in through the side or back doors of the church. Oftentimes it's through small groups or through personal counseling that deceitful spirits and teachings of demons infiltrate the church. And all it takes is a little leaven to leaven the whole bread. Think for a moment about the last counsel you gave to somebody. Whether you are aware of it or not, we give counsel to one another multiple times per day, to our spouse, to our children, to our coworker, our roommate, to members in our discipleship group. Perhaps it was counsel about a job or about parenting or about a major decision that needs to be made. How gospel-centered was your counsel? It may sound biblical. It may seem right in your eyes. It may be well-intentioned. It may be even mostly true. But at the end of the day, does it point to Christ, his lordship, his gospel, and his word? In our calling to guard against apostasy, there is also a need for church membership. Membership in the local church is God's appointed means of identifying and affirming through their confession and their conduct those who truly are part of the household of God. Is there fruit in keeping with repentance? Is there a life that matches up to the doctrine they profess? Now, it doesn't mean that we're perfect Christians but that the Lordship of Christ is evident in our lives and that the good work that he has started and promises to complete is abounding in us. So not only must we protect the teaching ministries, the discipleship and counseling of the church, not only must we practice church membership in light of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, we must also practice church discipline. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Hymenaeus and Alexander are mentioned as among those who had made shipwreck of their faith, in whom the apostle Paul had handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Essentially, they were disciplined out of the church in Ephesus. In the same chapter, Timothy is to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. When we consider the rest of the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy and Titus, we see the same thing. We are not to tolerate certain persons, but rather, in love and with gentleness, we are to confront, rebuke, and call them to repentance. What about our church? When one of you says, I don't understand why you keep calling me to repentance. I don't believe that homosexual thoughts are sinful as long as I don't act upon them. That is a lie of the devil. When we divorce sinful actions from our hearts, we are in danger of apostasy. Or if someone says to us, I've already sought forgiveness from the Lord for my sin. My discipleship leader is asking too much of me to cut off this relationship. Isn't it all free grace anyway? That is a lie of the devil. When we insist that repentance is cheap, we are in danger of apostasy. Or when one of you comes to us and says, I believe the word of God to be true in its message, but there are errors in it that render it imperfect. That is a lie of the devil. When we undermine the word of God, we are in danger of apostasy. Or if you were to say, it is impossible to love everyone in the church the same way. So what's wrong with choosing to associate only with those whom I feel close to? That is a lie from the devil. When we redefine the love of Christ, we are in danger of apostasy. Those are just a few examples of what we've had to deal with in our 10 years as a church. But do you see how easily deceitful spirits and teachings of demons can enter into our lives and into our church? Brothers and sisters, do we care and love one another enough as the household of God to warn each other of the danger of apostasy? As we encounter those in our small groups who are getting swept away with every wind of doctrine, are we simply going to stand by and watch? Or will we pray and pursue them out of love, lest they depart from the faith? Do we see Matthew 18 as God's means of grace to love the sinner and protect the church in light of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons? But there's a second part to this. It's not just about upholding sound doctrine. Many churches do that well. It's also about pursuing godliness through the word of God. Both are absolutely necessary. We see this throughout the book of First Timothy. We are to keep a close watch on our lives and on our doctrine. We are to train ourselves for godliness. We are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That is God's provision, his protection, and his priority for the church, his word, and its effect on our lives. So, is the word of God abiding in us? Are we being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5? Are we walking in the spirit, Galatians 5, and being transformed by the renewal of our mind as the word of Christ dwells in us richly? It's his word and his work in our lives that enables us to guard against apostasy. Can I get my final slide? So at the end of the day, who or what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to Christ and his word or to something else? It all goes back to the issue of lordship. Right? These apostates who are in our midst, they knew about Christ. They talked about him. They just didn't submit to him. They knew the word of God. They even taught it. They just didn't submit to it. What was clearly missing in their lives was the lordship of Christ and his word. What does your life reveal about who you are following? What consumes our time, our energy, and money? What do we think most about, talk most about, post most about on social media? What does our character and conduct reveal about who is leading and ruling our life? Right? Let's not be self-deceived. The Apostle Paul says, if it's not Christ, his spirit and his word in our lives, then it's the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons who masquerade as the truth. And this applies to the whole of our lives, including our hobbies and our interests, which need to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Perhaps some of us need to repent and consider giving up entertainment or social media or investing in the stock market, not to gain any greater standing before God, but so that we may be wholly devoted to Christ and his word. The church in Ephesus was called to guard against apostasy, and it's the same calling of our church today. And this battle for the truth of God's word and the souls of his people will continue until Christ returns one day. The spirit expressly says that some will depart from the faith, but Christ promises to build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in light of that promise, let's keep a close watch on our doctrine and our life and let's help one another to do the same. All right. Well, let me pray and we'll be done with my portion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight. Uh, It is a timely word. It is a necessary word, Lord, and it is a convicting word. Lord, I just pray that in light of everything we heard from you tonight, Lord, we would examine our hearts to see where we stand before you. That we would see whether Christ is really Lord of our lives, or whether there's something else that is ruling and reigning in place of you. For any who has not fully submitted their life to Christ, I pray for them, Lord, that you would lead them to repentance, that you would help them to see, Lord, just your goodness and your mercy and your grace in exposing, God, just the areas of our lives where we really have not yielded full control to you. Lord, so that they might repent and that they might receive with open hands the free gift of salvation that you offer through Christ. Lord, for those of us who are part of this church, who are truly members of the household of God, help us to consider your word as well, that we would not grow weary in standing for the truth, that we would not grow weary in pursuing righteousness, and godliness, seeking first your kingdom and your agenda. Lord, help us as a church to really be what you call us to be, which is the household of God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, that we might stand as a light in this dark world, that we might proclaim the excellencies of Christ, and that we might point others to the greatness of our Savior and Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.
0: All right. Thank you, Ted, for bringing us the word and just a reminder um, of the Holy Spirit's warning against apostasy. And um, yeah, just really um, helping us understand this a bit more clearly and that um, yeah, that it, it, it is among us as well. The, the danger of apostasy is among us, each one of us. Well, so that concludes the teaching portion of uh, tonight. And uh, I'll just be um, giving a few announcements and then uh, we'll be closing our time in prayer and then we'll have a hangout time after. So, yeah, again, if you're if you're new to Lagos, uh, welcome. And uh, Lagos is a midweek Bible study ministry of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Uh, we'd love to get to know you and we're happy that uh, you join us as we seek to worship the Lord uh, in learning to live the word together. Uh, if you'd like more information about the good news of the gospel, uh, our church, the Lagos Bible study, or have any other questions, uh, please reach out to Teddy, you or Naomi um, Teddy. If you're able to just uh, post your guys's emails on, on the chat, that would be helpful. Um, and for Sunday worship uh, for Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, we are gathering uh, both indoor and outdoor, um, and in addition to online streaming, currently the indoor service is limited to 50 people, or the first 50 people to sign up, and uh, you can RSVP via uh, the Facebook, um, via Facebook uh, from the link that uh, is posted as a sign-up sheet. Um, and for Lagos, uh, for next week, we'll be having our discipleship group uh, sharing and prayer meeting. Um, so, yeah, please be on the lookout for communication from your uh, disciples uh, or assistants on your meeting times. And we will reconvene again for our large group meeting uh, in two Thursdays on February 18th. Um, again, if you do have any counseling needs, we encourage you to uh reach out to your uh, discipleship groups or any of the, um, the elders at our church, uh, please, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, we'd definitely love to uh, just pray for you and care for you in whatever way that we can. Um, and lastly, we do have an a, um, announcement for uh, an upcoming ministry that's coming up uh, called Cornerstone. And uh, Pastor Mark, I'll pass this over to you.
3: Thanks, Tim. Um, I just want to thank all the Lagos team, all the men who behind the scenes just make this possible. And Tim's sweet job on emceeing this evening and uh, for the men who send out the announcements and make this possible. And Ted, you know, what a great word this evening and what a blessing for me just to be able to, you know, I need this on a Thursday night in the middle of the week when our lives get so busy with so many different things and chasing the kids and putting them down and taking care of all the details to be brought back to the centrality of the Lordship of Christ and the gospel. And and to have that midweek is such a blessing. And uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but uh, Ted has done what I don't believe any man has done during my time at at, uh, Lighthouse. He brought in a teaching in at 30 minutes. Was it? Okay. Well, he's still, it's amazing. It's not easy to bring it in like that. And so we had asked the men who teach at Lagos to aim for a 30 to 40 minute teaching, because we know uh, that you get Zoom fatigue and uh, we know the medium, it's not as good as being present live and it has its limitations. So we're working with that. And so each week at Lagos, we're focusing on authorial intent and also application. And uh, Ted hit it out of the park. It's a good word, and he was able to do it in a timely way. So thank you, Ted, for for doing that. And uh, just upcoming on Sunday afternoons, we're going to continue the event of sharing the gospel. We're starting a new ministry called Cornerstone. It's going to be sort of a more condensed, similar to Lagos but it's for Sunday afternoons between 4 and 5, and uh, it's taken from our Lord and Savior's name. He is the cornerstone, and it's taken from Ephesians, where Ephesians shows that we're living stones who are being built into a dwelling place for the Lord, and we're being built around the cornerstone, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the focus on uh, Sunday afternoons is really for us to be able to build our lives on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the focus of the teaching is really going to be the more practical aspects of the faith. So Sunday morning is the gospel proclamation. Uh, Logos, uh, we're being taught about how to rightly handle and interpret and apply the word. And then uh, the cornerstone ministry, the focus is how do we apply what we've learned? How do we put the building blocks and the basics of the Christian life, dealing with sin, putting together uh, a home devotional, um, working on our marriages and our families, how do we apply those? And it's meant to be a simple 30-minute teaching. So Ted has set the standard, and I'm going to chase him down and, and see if I can keep up with him. And uh, a time to just have a bit of prayer. It's going to be the same format via Zoom. You'll get the link uh, through our Logos team. And uh, our hope, too, because it's on a Sunday afternoon, is that perhaps some of you are um, who feel courageous enough can gather in small groups and socially distance, perhaps over coffee on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, our hope is that we would provide an opportunity for fellowship and interaction around the ministry of the word and prayer. And uh, to launch it this uh, Sunday afternoon, this Sunday we're going to have uh, Pastor Ricardo Morales is coming Um, He's going to uh, encourage and exhort and help our church along the lines of missions to pick up where we left off from our anniversary uh, service and he's going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter four and uh, about exalting Christ in our life and our world and uh, in our hearts. And then on Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, I'm going to have a chance to just interview him and talk to him. I know I'm going to be competing with the Super Bowl, but, you know, Ricardo is probably bigger than the Super Bowl. But um, just to talk to him about uh, having a, a private devotional, but also developing a, a home and family worship. It was brought to my attention by one of our members that since we no longer have a children's ministry during COVID, and since we meet together in one service, most of the burden um, in ministering to our kids has fallen onto the men and the fathers, and that's been a challenging season, and there hasn't been a lot of formal instruction from the church per se. And so I wanted to spend some time with Ricardo because over the last two to three years, he they basically sold their home, they moved into a trailer, and they've been traveling across the country ministering at different churches as they get ready to go to Columbia. And so it has been a time of huge transition for them even before uh, COVID came along. And so um, he's going to be a good person to talk to about how do we develop a home devotional for our family? How do we minister to our children? How do we deal uh, with our own prayer life and also cultivating a prayer life for our children and encouraging our wives and our children at home during a time of transition. And so that's the aim for our launch of Cornerstone Ministry. And we'll be meeting the first three Sundays of each month between four and five o'clock via Zoom. And uh, my hope is that at the end of Sunday, before you hit the job and work, your hearts will be filled with Christ and his word. Uh, You'll be warmed and filled and encouraged and filled with a reason to rejoice as we head back into the world. Thanks, Tim.
0: Thanks, Pastor Mark. So yeah, that concludes our announcements. Um, And so I will just close us in another word of prayer and then we'll have a a short time of hangout after. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit's warning against a real uh, threat to the church and that's apostasy um, and false teaching. Lord, would you help us to uphold sound doctrine, um, Lord, that we would strive to be um, faithful members of your household, and that we would strive to uphold um, and be uh, a pillar and buttress of the truth um, of which you are the cornerstone. And so, Lord, I just uh, thank you again for these truths. Uh, Lord, would you just be with our leaders and our teachers that they would not compromise on Uh, their teaching on the gospel, um, that they uh, don't insert any other um, teachings in there um, and that they are being faithful to preaching Christ and Christ alone. Uh, And Lord, would you uh, just be with each one of us as members, uh, Lord, that um, in every interaction, every uh, single moment of our lives, Lord, we are uh, fighting a spiritual battle. So would you help us to uh, just put on uh, your armor Lord, that we would be equipped with your word to deal with all of the different deceits of the world um, each and every day. Um, and Lord, would you just help us to guard against uh, these false teachings and that the gospel would uh, just ring true and, um, and loudly in, in each of our lives. We pray for the upcoming cornerstone ministry as well, Lord, that this ministry would be one that uh, magnifies Christ and uh, his word. So we just thank you again and pray that you would just be with us until we're all able to meet again. In Christ's name I pray, amen.